This is what the Bible says. Have you ever heard this verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Watch, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. Amen. We are living in a unique time. I'm getting very upset with people saying this is the worst it's ever been. So I'm going to take a little while to prove to you that that's not accurate. Jesus came to a world that was covered in blood. Lewdness, political corruption. If you read the book of Galatians chapter 4, it does not say he came in a fragment of time. It said he came in the fullness of time. Which means one, one of the things you can get out of that verse is by the time Jesus showed up, and was ready to offer his life a ransom for us. He wanted to make sure everything the enemy could ever invent had been invented so that no one could say after the cross, oh, you didn't die for this, or you didn't shed blood for this. I promise you that everything we're dealing with now is nothing more than a spin-off, and it's, it's the same old trick with a different set of clothes on. And... Uh, it really started 60 years before Jesus showed up. Julius Caesar, um, you know, he's worshiped as a god. Uh, Julius Caesar had epilepsy, and he would fall on the ground, and he would writhe and froth out of his mouth. And uh, people that were around him thought that was a display of supernatural power. And so they revered him as a god. And even though he suffered epilepsy, he was a brilliant military strategist. And he literally conquered the civilized world. And, um, but he was bloody. He was brutal. It's quite ironic that he died being stabbed to death by his own secretary, whose name just happened to be Brutus. He was followed by Augustus Caesar. This was the one that was in power during the early part of the ministry of Jesus. He was probably the finest of the Caesars. During his reign, he appointed governors because the Roman Empire was so vast. He appointed governors in strategic satellite cities to govern the empire. And one of these governors that he appointed was someone known as Herod the Great. This was a very immoral man. He was married to five women. He had eight children, eight sons, in fact, by these five women. And uh, when any one of these sons started to show any type of leadership potential, he killed them. And uh, the cruelest thing we know about him was uh, the murder of his 18-month-old son, whose mother just happened to be a famous Egyptian queen by the name of Cleopatra. This little boy died because of the paranoia of his dad, who was just totally distraught when these wise men said there was a new king coming. And Herod literally made sure that that horrible 
plague went into his own son's nursery, it was not just everybody else's little boy that died. He made sure his, his own year and a half old son would die. Julius Caesar died when Jesus was two. When he was 14, Augustus died. He was replaced by Tiberius. He uh, followed the pattern of those that preceded him. Tiberius was such an evil man that he got in front of a group of men one day and said, I am going to be king forever and I'll prove that to you. And he took his nine-year-old son, put him on his knee in front of those men and took a knife out and slit his throat in front of those people because he said, I don't need an heir. I'll be on the throne forever. Herod Antipas was someone that Tiberius appointed. He was dating his brother. He was living with his brother Philip's wife. It was her daughter that danced and ultimately would ask for the head of John the Baptist. And you think, you think of these Herods. There was Herod Antipas, Herod the Great, Herod Agrippa I, Herod Agrippa II, Herod Antipas <coughs> beheaded John the Baptist. Herod the Great could have let Jesus go, but he wouldn't because of political pressure. Herod Agrippa I is the one that killed John's brother James and would have killed Peter if the bugs wouldn't have eaten him up. And Herod Agrippa II could have let Paul out of prison if Paul would have paid him a bribe. That's what <coughs> we're dealing with here. You're going to find that Agrippa... This one that killed James, the brother of John. That the church is about four years old when this is going on. Tiberius, he died of syphilis. And uh, he was replaced by, by Caligula. Caligula was an idiot. He was already insane because both of his parents suffered from gonorrhea. He had no reservations morally, but when you take history and compare it with the church, this is when a mighty harvest happened in the church in 6, 7, and 8 of Acts. He's followed by Claudius. Claudius was so ignorant, he couldn't even write his name, and he had a signet ring that he would press into wax to make documents official, but he couldn't even read the documents that he was placing his signet ring on. This was the one that Paul was probably going to have to argue his innocence in front of. And yet Paul simply said, I am willing to become all things to all men, if by any means some could be saved. Herod Agrippa II came next. He's married his own sister, whose name was Bernice. Nero followed Agrippa II. And last of all was Domitian. This was the one that sent John to the Isle of Patmos. This is a messed up world. This is a messed up world full of lewdness, full, full of a debauchery. The political uh, corruption that went on uh, would, would, would basically make what's going on in our world be like kindergarten. Don't, don't say this is the worst world it's ever been. Don't say it's never, ever been worse than this. You don't know your past. Paul talked about that world in the book of Romans. And in chapter one of Romans, he describes how wicked the world really was. And in chapter two and three, he talks about how his world was even influenced by his Jewish brothers. In five and six, he tells you that you don't have to live 
under the curse of that world. And then in chapter seven, with brutal honesty, Paul talks about that world impacted him and influenced him. But then you come to one of the greatest chapters in all the New Testament, Romans eight, and it says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Jesus Christ. I, I, I remember years ago when Oprah was gonna start her own church because she had gone back to her home church and she said when she left, she didn't feel good. And so she said, church wasn't supposed to do that to you. You were always supposed to leave church feeling better. And so she decided she was gonna start a church of her own. Here's my problem with Oprah and with a lot of people. There, there, is, there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ, but there is something known as conviction. And a lot of people don't understand the difference. Condemnation drives you away from Jesus. Condemnation says, I'm so dirty and, and he's so clean that I'll never, ever, ever measure up. And so it drives you away from the Lord. Conviction drives you to him. So I'm not gonna tell you coming to church is always gonna feel good. I'm gonna tell you there's a spirit inside of you that's gonna talk to you and gonna deal with you, not to drive you away, but to drive you closer. And you need to understand that. You need to understand that. I, I, I want I, I, I just, it, it always amazes me, you know? I, 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 I see such goofy things going on when, when, when pastoring people, and it, and it was just, uh, uh, I've heard people say, I, I can't come to church, you know, Pastor, I, 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 I've got so many things in my life that aren't right. Listen, you don't get a shower before you get a bath. I'm telling you, we could have the greatest church service in the history of church today, and if you walked out of that door, I promise you, Satan would take you right out there in that lobby after the greatest service you've ever had in your life. Why then, when we mess up, do we say Jesus doesn't want me? I'm telling you, if Satan will take you at your best, Jesus will take you at your worst. And if you don't believe that, you don't understand the Bible. Otherwise we are, believing in a Satan that wants you more than a savior. And it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You have to understand, you know, if you've ever had a, a, a pressurized cylinder, there'll be a big stamp on that thing. Do not let the pressure of this thing exceed, let's say a thousand pounds per square inch. But before any pressurized cylinder can ever be put on the market in America, it has to be tested to a minimum of three times the pressure that they feel that you are not to exceed. Years ago, I went to the John Deere plant in Moline, Illinois, and they had giant, they looked like logs out of concrete. They were about eight feet in diameter and probably 15 feet long, and they, they weren't parallel to one another. They were shaped like a W. And, 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 and I watched a man literally get in, into what looked like a NASCAR harness and put on a, a crash helmet and fired up that, that tractor and took off a, as fast as that tractor could go across those giant 
concrete pilings. And while one wheel was up, the other one was down. At no time was it was as flat. And the man giving me the tour said, we try to subject our equipment to a minimum of three times the stress load that we feel that any farmer will ever, ever put any of our products. But the reason I'm telling you this, it is not by chance that the early church was started in the city of Jerusalem. This is, this is, this is devout Jews. These are people that hate Jesus. And yet it was there in Jerusalem that Jesus rolled out this new product called the church of the living God to prove to the second century and the third century and the 21st century that if I can build a church in Jerusalem, I can build a church in Michigan. Don't say this city's too dirty. Don't tell me about it. No, 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 no. We're not going there. You have to understand that the world that Jesus came to save was a messed up place. I, I, when, I, when I was a kid, people would go to church and, they, and the preacher would preach about hell. And people would get afraid and they would come to the altar. And that's, that's not always bad because the Bible said fear is the beginning. It's the beginning of wisdom. You just can't base your entire walk with the Lord on fear. As far as I'm concerned, there's at least four levels that you'll go through when you serve the Lord. The first will probably be fear, where you're afraid of being lost or afraid of going to hell or afraid of judgment, whatever. But then if you'll serve him a little bit longer, you'll realize that there are benefits to serving the Lord. That now that I've been serving him, I'm not dealing with a lot of the condemnation and guilt and stuff that I do. If you'll serve the little Lord a little bit longer, you realize you'll get into the third level where you realize I now have an obligation to tell somebody else about what the Lord has done for me. Then you will get possibly to the fourth level, which is the highest level of serving of God, which is called love. Because you're not serving him because you're terrified of going to hell, or you're not serving him because of the perks or the per diems, and you're not serving him out of guilt that you feel like you gotta, you're serving him because you love him. That's the highest law and level of serving the Lord. And if you listen to the weeping people, their testimony or the way they talk, they will tell on themselves and tell you where they are in their walk with God. Because if your whole walk with God is based on what he's done for you, there are going to be times when you're not going to have anything. Now, there will always be something to thank him for, see, because you've got his air in your lungs. You've got his sanity in your mind. You've got his strength in your body. But we don't remember that. We think that there are things. That's why you've got to learn the difference between praise and worship. Praise is what he's done for you. Praise is, a, is, is thanksgiving on steroids is what it is. But worship is not based on what he's done for you. Worship is based on his identity. It's not based on what he's done, but it's based on who he is. Jesus one time said, which of my good works are you stoning me for? And they said, we're not stoning you for any of your miracles. He said, well, then why are you stoning me? They said, because you're a man and you think you're God. And that's the issue. And it's still the issue today because Jesus is either Lord from glory or he's a liar or he's a lunatic. You got to figure out which one it is. I'm convinced that if you get to a level and understand not just what he's done for you, but who he is. You won't just say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the word. Thank God for the church. Thank God for the blood. You'll get to a higher level where you said, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
It's not just based on what he's done for you. We have been so blessed again and again. My wife started a prayer meeting on this Zoom thing, you know, and, and, and it's, it's one of the many good things that have come out of this virus deal. And if you're a lady, I invite you to be with my wife's prayer meeting every morning at eight o'clock. It's amazing time. And so I told her this past 830, 730, 730. And I, we were riding in the car this week and I, she's telling me stuff that's going on. Uh, for instance, Bianca is, is right here in the front row. Bianca just graduated from nurses college. And then while hospitals are downsizing, she went to the hospital and she had all of her books and all of her resumes and all these different things that she was going to brag on that she'd done. And the lady said, I don't need to see that. I like you. You're hired. And so just hired her on the spot and put her in the pediatric unit, which is one of the funnest places in the hospital to work. But this past week, she's dealing with a young mother and a baby is 21 weeks old. Bianca told me, usually they don't even let them live if they're, if they're under 20. They just, after, if they're born before, before 22 weeks, they just, they, they, this is a baby not hardly big enough to fit in the palm of your hand. She said, Pastor, they'll just take that little baby and set it aside and just let it die and suffocate on its own somewhere on a shelf. And this baby's 21 weeks old and this mom is crying and Bianca breaking all protocol just said, let me pray with you and wraps her arms around her and begins to pray and comfort her. And she said, your baby's going to be born. You're going to be okay. And then she prayed, oh God, when this baby is born, would you please set somebody in this new mother's life who can help her? Bianca didn't even know it because I told Renee, I said, you need to have somebody write this stuff down because now after these months of prayer, they've got all these, and she said, Kelsey, Kelsey's our scribe. She said, we have page after page after page of things we've prayed for in the last four months that God has done for us and that miraculously things have occurred. And Bianca didn't even know it until just a couple days ago. But who did God put in that young mother's life? But Sue Martinez, who is another nurse in the church. She didn't even know that Sue was the one, but God put her in her life. Rich, Beck, Rich Beckers, where you at? Rich, stand up, stand up. He just got stabbed, supposed to die, supposed to die. But they took a prayer cloth and put it under his head and his fever went down. And there he is, right there. <laughs> Jesus name, Jesus name. Don't, don't, don't just tell me about what God used to do. I'm telling you about what God's doing right now. <laughs> Where's Dwayne at? Stand up, Dwayne. There's Dwayne West right now. They, they said, the, they, they said the, the crime rate went down 30% when Dwayne West got the Holy Ghost and got in church. I'm not making this stuff up. Man, Dwayne West's mother, you should have met Gail. Every 
every service for years. At, somewhere in that service, she was going to interrupt what we were doing and said, you pray for my husband and you pray for my boys. They're going to be in church. And her boys were rotten. They were just rotten. And after a while, I'm saying, Gail, you might as well give up on that prayer because them boys ain't never coming to church and your husband could care less. And Gail was like a filibuster. Every sentence ended with and. And she just never stopped. She just kept talking and kept praying. To my knowledge, she had at least five different kinds of cancer that God healed her of. Again and again, God miraculously touched her. And finally, the day came when Gail left and God took her, just like Enoch said, God took her. And he did. But the very next Sunday, Gail's husband was in church and he got the Holy Ghost and he got baptized. And then that redheaded boy of hers got in church. And now Dwayne's in church. And tonight, tonight on Facebook, Dwayne's preaching in Brazil, a conference to the nation of Brazil. Thousands of people are gonna watch him tonight. That's what's going on right now. <laughs> in Jesus' name. I was with Sajith. Sajith Matthews is a doctor that goes to the church. Jay Bourne, is Jay in the house? I don't, it, it's just Jay, Jay, Jay's marrow died. He, he they, they had gave him too much chemotherapy. His marrow died. They all said, here's Sajith. He, he was there, a doctor of record on there and, and, and giving, trying to comfort these people because his wife can't see him and I can't see him. And we'll have Jay give his testimony because he talked about how horrible it was. Nobody was picking up the trash and he had to kick the trash away to get to the bathroom because they were just overloading and they didn't know what to do with him. And here he's, 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 his marrow is dead. And so they're trying experimental things, but they knew it probably wasn't going to work. And one of the doctors, the elder doctors told Sajid, we could try it, but it's probably not going to work. And yet when, when, then all of a sudden, people begin to pray and pray. And, and, and so they just let Jay go home because they didn't know what to do with him. But all, and then the insurance ran out and he couldn't get the stomach, his shots in his stomach that he des- they said he desperately needed. But then all of a sudden, Tracy called Sajith and said, something's going on in my husband's marrow. And she gave him a number and I'm not qualified enough to know what it's all about. I just know it was an amazing number. And Sajith said, whoa, that's really good. And then she called him a day or two later and said, it's normal, it's normal, it's, it's functioning. It's, it's, that, 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 that's not supposed to go on. But there's his wife right there. And that's what's... <laughs> Where's Sophia? Come here. This is, this is, is your mom here? Huh? This is Sophie Butchers. Where's your mom at? Point your mom at Sister Butchers right there. Her and her sweetie pie just invited Renee and I and Mike to an amazing meal at their house. And she said, Pastor, you never knew this, but we were refugees for 15 years. My husband was conscripted into the military in Iraq. We fought. Hey, have you ever been to the, to the, to the, 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 Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C. There's 58,300 names on that memorial. When Iran fought Iraq, a million men died. Nobody ever writes about it. It's the war that nobody ever remembers. But Safi's daddy was in that war and God miraculously spared him. And when that war came into that country, they left. And for 15 years, 15 years, she said, we were refugees for 15 years. My husband could not work. They wouldn't 
let us work. But she said, we never went without food. We never went without clothing. We always had a place to live. And now, now, here we are. And I'll tell you what else she said. She said, ah, coronavirus is nothing compared to civil war. She said, we went through civil war and we made it and we'll go through this virus thing just as well. Read the Bible. It's in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. It says, when everything that can be shaken is shaking, you're gonna start looking for something that won't shake. And this is what it says, fear God. It doesn't say fear Corona, it says fear God. That's right. See, I'm a carrier. I'm a carrier. I'm a carrier of Christ. When I get around people, I want people impacted, affected. I want them to get this thing that I got as well. I want to be the typhoid Mary of the Christian world. So what is this going to bring out in you? All of this stuff, right? Is it going to bring out the worst or is it going to bring out the best? Because when you read Hebrews 12, it says everything that can shake is going to shake so that the stuff that's not shaking looks real attractive. And then it says, let us serve the Lord with grace and with fear. You know what that means? That means we need to be gracious Christians right now. We don't need to be mean. We don't need to be rude. We don't need to be judgmental. Why? God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Why? World's condemned already. And they all receive. When I was a kid, you preach people into hell, they get afraid, they get in church. It doesn't work that way anymore. I got rebuked one time a little while ago, and some well meaning lady said, I've never heard you preach about hell, Pastor Hoffman. I, 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 I don't know if I'm going to keep coming to this church because you don't preach about hell. And I said, Listen, lady, I'm not interested in preaching people into hell. I'm going to preach people out of hell. They live in hell. You've got to give them hope. When they come, they're, li- they're living in hell right now. That's the purpose of the church. You don't have to condemn anybody. They're already condemned. Come on, let's give them hope. Let's be gracious. Everything in this city shakes.